0: little while. It's been more than a month since we studied Acts. So we're going to get back to our study of Acts this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. But I want to, since it's been, we we sort of took a break from it for uh, the holiday season. And so uh, let me kind of remind you where we've been to this point. In Acts chapter 1, we saw Jesus talking and teaching his disciples. Telling them that they would be his witnesses. They would, they would spread the gospel and make disciples. They would throughout the world they would be a witness to who he is and what he's done. And then we see him ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 1. Then in, in Acts chapter 2, we see the promised fulfillment. The Pentecost. Now Pentecost was a the day, it's, Pentecost literally means 50th. And and so it was 50 days after Passover, and and it was celebrated as the day that the the law was given to Moses. Now they're going to celebrate it as the birth of the church. Oh, sorry, I guess uh, children can go to children's church. I'm about three minutes late for that, sorry. So Pentecost uh, is the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit comes, and we see amazing things start to happen right away. We, see, we have the sights and the sounds and, and all this happening and, and all this happens and, and the church explodes. It literally, uh, this first church just grows and grows and grows exponentially through Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 3 and 4, we have miracles being done in Jesus' name. They're healing people. The apostles are healing people in Jesus' name. And so persecution starts. And persecution comes from the political leaders and the religious leaders from the outside. They start closing in on this and saying, hey, stop that. Stop talking about this guy Jesus. That's not what we think you should do. And so you you see the persecution begin outside the church. And in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4, we have several uh, sermons by Peter that are pretty amazing. And, and in each one, he says that, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the, the, you have this, this tremendous growth of the church from, the, from Peter's sermons in Acts chapter 3 and 4, and 2, 3, 4, 5. At the end of chapter 5 where we left off, Peter and John are again being persecuted by the religious leaders and the political leaders. They're again being persecuted. And in fact, at the end, very end of chapter 5, they are flogged for, for speaking in the name of Jesus. They're flogged. And they go away, at the end of chapter 5, they go away rejoicing that they have been found worthy of suffering for Christ. And so we have this, this is the picture of, of where we begin in Acts chapter 6. So let's read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. They are up here behind me. In those days as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables, brothers and sisters, select from you, from among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty, for we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephan, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So let's talk first about the context here. I already talked about the scriptural context, but let's talk about the cultural and historical context a little bit. First of all, it is it is baked in, it is embedded in Judaism to take care of widows and orphans. It's all the way back in Leviticus, it's repeated throughout the Old Testament to take care of widows and orphans. And so the way it was done in this time was the synagogue had a daily distribution of food. Now widows and orphans have no way of, of no income, no way of making a living, so they have to be taken care of. So the synagogue would hand out food to these widows and orphans on a daily basis, the daily distribution. And what we see here, kind of reading between the lines, is that these widows that are part of the Christian church, this new Christian church, they're not being served by the synagogue. The synagogue has kicked them out. The synagogue has turned its back on the widows, even though it's it's baked into Judaism to take care of them. That the synagogue is back, has has turned their back on these widows, so this church, this new Christian church, has to figure out what to do. They have to to, to address this need. So, it, it, I mean, even Jesus commanded to take care of the widows and orphans. So this first church has to figure out what to do with this problem. So I think it's I, I think how they respond to this is is instructive for us. First, they respond to the ministry need. They understood the need as it was presented. They understood that this actually had a lot of potential to split the church apart because you've got Hebraic Jews, those those who were from Israel, and you've got uh, the, the Hellenistic or Greek Jews that have come to Christ, and these widows are being treated differently in the daily distribution. So this has the, the, the potential of splitting the church in half. So how, the fact that they recognize that it's a need is important. The way we, here we are 2,000 years later, how do we do ministry? We do ministry by the tried and true, we've always done it that way, right? That's how we tend to do ministry in churches today well we've always done it this way they responded to a ministry need they responded to a needed a, a place where ministry was needed they didn't have a whole bunch of ministries just because we've always done it this way now the beautiful thing is this is a brand new church so they don't have any we've always done it this way problems but i think it's it, it's it's good for us as a, a church of this century to consider noticing a need and responding to it rather than doing things because we've always done them. I think it's important for us to see that. And that's what they do here. They, they, they see a need, they respond to it, and it's a new need, so they respond to it in a new way. New leaders, new way of doing things. Now, I think there's a cautionary tale here as well. The cautionary tale is that, consider, again, our our scriptural context. All the way through Acts up to to chapter chapter 5, the pressure has been from the outside. And as long as the pressure is from the outside, they are actually knit together further when they when they're persecuted from the outside from the religious leaders from the political leaders it it's them together it brings them closer but here we have internal conflict here we have a problem inside the church and it's really the first internal conflict in the first church right i mean we see the history of the new church here and so it's the first time they have to deal with this now here we are 2,000 years later, and we haven't learned much. Because in a study that, that I follow, in 2021 alone, over or 4,500 evangelical churches, now that's, that's across all denominations, 4,500 churches closed for good in 2021. That is more than 85 a week closed for good. Because of internal conflict. We're we're in America. This is just in America. This isn't outside persecution that's taking these churches down. It's internal problems. And and that same study said almost 40%, 38% I think it was, almost 4 in 10 pastors have decided to quit the ministry in 2021. Why? What's going on? internal conflict, internal conflict that's not being addressed, problems that, that, that unfortunately are more often about preferences than they are about, about actual biblical principle. That's what's happening. So I think it's instructive for us to look at how they handle this internal conflict. The first thing is they recognize that there's a problem. Now that may be that may seem easy, but they understand the, how how this problem could affect the entire church. This problem has to be addressed because it, they recognize it's a problem that these widows are not being fed, and it's a need that we must address. The second thing is they met together to discuss how to address this problem, and I would note here that there are two two verses there in the seven that we read that talked about the gospel and about uh, about spreading the gospel and about making disciples. They they met together to decide on a solution, keeping the gospel and making disciples as the priority. It's easy in a church for a problem to become the only thing that church focuses on. It's easy in a church... And, and it happens all the time where a ministry need comes up. That Feeding the widows is important stuff. It's an important ministry. But is it the only ministry the church has? No, it can't be. Jesus gave the church its charge back in Acts chapter 1. You're going to tell people who I am and what I've done. You're going to spread the gospel and you're going to make disciples. So they they met together figured out a solution that kept the gospel and making disciples as a priority and then they come up with a solution they empower new leaders to handle it and they send them off do the ministry this is this is again the kind of the first thing in a new church figure out the problem, figure out how it fits and how we can continue with the church's mission of, of spreading the gospel and making disciples and then empower leadership to do something about the ministry need. That's what they do. They come up with a brand new leader for this brand new ministry. Another thing that tends to happen in churches, especially small churches, is we just add stuff on to the people that we already have in leadership right it's just easier well you're a you you already do this so let's just add this to you but that's not what we see what we see is new leaders brought up for new ministry has god put a ministry on your heart because if he has he's calling you to it he's calling you to the ministry he's putting on your heart if god has laid a ministry need on your heart we need to talk about it and you need to work in it. That's how God works. This is, uh, this is kind of the beginning of deacons in a church. Now, deacon, the, the word literally means servant, or it's used in some context as minister. But a deacon is a servant. What did they do? They waited on tables. It's often said that deacon's first job was to wait on tables. It's absolutely true. Here it is. Here's our example. Deacons are servants of the church, and they waited on tables here. And look at what happened. It it says, in verse 7, it says, The word of God spread, the disciples increased greatly in number, and many priests came to the faith. I think this shows us there's no such thing as a small ministry position. There's no such thing as a small ministry Every, minister, every ministry a church does is critical to its overall mission of spreading gospel and making disciples. So how they handle this matters because these are the results they get. The results they get are the Word of God spreading, the disciples increasing in number, priests coming to the faith. This is what happens. Think for a minute if these guys had said, I really don't have time to wait on tables. You know, I just don't... I I don't want to have to... I don't want to be tied down to that every week. I can't do that every day. What, What would have happened if these guys would have decided this ministry wasn't the one they wanted? Then we don't have this conflict resolved. Then we don't have the church spreading the word of God and making disciples we don't have the results that are shown here. We have these results because these guys stood up and said, yeah, I'll do that ministry. I think the Holy Spirit was working on them before this ministry need came up. And the reason I say that is because I think Every ministry, that a, every ministry need that a church has, there are, God provides for it. God always provides where he guides. And so if we have a ministry need in the church, I think there are people right here, right now, to step up into that ministry. Because he provides before he guides. When a ministry need comes up, I think we already have his answer to, his, to our problem to the ministry need. And as, as I said before, these guys are waiting on tables. There is no small ministry. There is no small ministry position. These guys, if they hadn't waited on tables, then we don't get the results that it shows here in verse 7. We don't get the word of God spreading. We don't get the number of disciples increasing greatly. We don't get priests coming to the faith. We don't get any of that. And thus, these guys step up and serve. Serving the church is serving Jesus. Serving the church is serving the mission of the church, which is the mission of Jesus. Remember, as I keep saying, if these guys hadn't stepped up and said, yeah, I'll wait on tables, then we don't get the result of the word of God spreading. We don't get the result of the the disciples increasing in number. We don't get the result of priests coming to the faith. Priests, aren't they the last people you would expect to come to faith in Christ? The priests? They have the most to lose. And yet they come. They come to faith because these guys decided, yes, I'll wait on tables. You know, every week, Jane is, is, is up here talking about ministry opportunities. Every week, she talks about ministry needs. If one of those catches in your ear, that may be God preparing you to do it. Don't say no. Step up. Because in, in that call right there is the mission of the church of spreading the gospel and making disciples. In that simple call of children's church or nursery or, or, or men's ministry or women's ministry, whatever ministry it is, in that call is the overall goal of spreading the gospel and making disciples. So this is how they dealt with their ministry need, being confronted with a ministry need. They recognized it as a new way of doing ministry. They recognized it as another ministry opportunity they They worked together to address it. They met they worked together address it with the goal of the gospel and making disciples. They never lose sight of the of the church's responsibility and they they uh, they empower these new leaders, they lay hands on them, empower them in the name of Jesus and in the name of the church to do the ministry. That's how stuff gets solved. That's how churches, especially small churches, that's how stuff gets done, is by following this guideline. Has God put something on your heart? A ministry need, something that that our church isn't addressing or a ministry that we have that you're not involved with yet. Has God put something on your heart? Don't say no. Say yes, step up. Think about these guys that stood up to serve Jesus by serving the church. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for a moment. Consider for a moment The ministries within this church or ministry needs within this church. Is God calling you to to step in, to step up? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the call of ministry in our lives to meet needs, to make a difference. in in lives, to spread the gospel and make disciples. Keep us mindful of this, this process you take this brand new church through. Keep us mindful. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.